Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this daily science fiction extravaganza, commonly known as Tales, Tales from Outer from space. Out, space. Out, space. Taken from the subreddit HFY, all the relevant links will be down below. And, as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider supporting the channel. On to the science fiction. Story number one. It's like courage. Written by Despair. Tide locked worlds, William thought, suck. This one especially. The habitable zone was only a few hundred meters wide. Not big enough for even the most condensed space curl harvester. So, he was headed to the dark side to repair ammoniac stabilizer that really shouldn't have broken for the third time this month. The Brendai and the Swanala had spoken of similar problems in their attempts to colonize the desolate rock. They thought the humans were crazy for making a third attempt. Or brave, those two species weren't convinced that there was a difference, but they'd been happy to sell their records. The ground here was no help. Too rough for the weird vehicles, William climbed up and down the little ridges, climbed carefully. Many of the rock spines were sharp enough to cut through the thin environmental suit. Most of it was frozen mud, but at these temperatures, that was just another sedimentary rock, and ice crystals held sharp edges better than most. William passed carefully around the near-vertical slab of rock as tall as himself, edged carefully along the thin ledge, then dropped three feet into a little crater of uncertain origin. In the middle of the crater was an alien slab, a square sheet of rock as long as his arm, carved with symbols not in the galactic library. It was not the first such that they'd found, apparently. Humanity was the fourth species to try colonizing this dump, not that they wanted to tell the Swanada that. He's photographed it from a few angles and uploaded the photos to the Xenolinguistics Forum that they hoped Swanada didn't read. An unsolved problems in archaeology went. It wasn't a particularly prominent one, but galactic academia was big and even small problems could attract a few hundred people. The linguistics were making progress, albeit slowly. One of the uploads completed, William moved on without touching the snab. That was policy. One day they'd invite the Xenoarchaeologists to see the original and hope not to get cursed out too loudly for their improper fieldwork. Up to the next wall, as short on footholds as it was, sideways around the ridge that was too pointy to climb, and through a forest of rock spires. And William finally had a sight on the Moyonic stabilizer. The outer casing looked melted, possibly a short circuit. There was a noise. It wasn't impossible. There was no atmosphere, but its sound still could travel through the rock and up one's legs. Sound didn't travel very far that way, and you couldn't hear it at all where it came from at all. Something near William was moving. There was nothing nearby that should be moving. William looked around, but in his jagged landscape he could see less than twenty meters in any direction. He contemplated climbing something, but that looked like a quick way to die. Instead, he jumped straight up and three quarters of the earth gravity, and he had a pretty decent vertical. It didn't help. He realized too late that he was going to make a noise when he landed, if something was out there listening. 
noise. Louder noise, louder still. And he finally saw something moving, coming towards him. It was still, he would have mistaken it for a rock. It was covered in grey scales, textured like the ground. It had six thick legs and a head with a long, dexterous neck. He pulled out his camera and set it to video, live-streaming it to the base. The creature stopped walking, pointed its head at him, and unfolded some strange anatomy, shiny and faintly glowing red. Pain swept across his face. Instinctively, he pulled away, falling to the ground as he did so. He let out a short scream and panted as he struggled to bring himself under control. Every frantic beat of his heart stretched to the damaged skin, bringing a new burst of pain. How bad is it? Maybe not that bad. He'd been burned before, though never so much skin. The closest analogue was sunburn he'd gotten many years ago, after a solid day's surfing in Hawaii with no protection. That had healed in about a week. This probably would too. Taking comfort from the memory, he looked up, only to see the shiny thing unfurl again and a new blast of heat strike his face. It burned deeper, stabbing into his skin like a million fiery knives. He hadn't known it was possible to burn an underside of one's skin, much less how much of the sensitive that was. He screamed in earnest, bringing his arm up to block the curling into a ball. For a moment, the heat hit his arm of his suit, melting it. He could feel the little balls of molten plastic adhering to his arm, which was already cooking. Then the blast stopped the molten plastic continued to burn his arm in a little pinpricks, but the great wave of heat was off his arm. The air on his suit smelled wrong. Atmosphere was breached, but the redundancies were enough to keep him alive. There was no sound. He didn't dare look up, so either the thing could move quietly or it had stopped. I have to get out of here. He visualized his surroundings. It took him three tries as fresh pain from his face scattered his concentration. Then, without looking or at anything, he gathered his feet under himself, leapt forward and ran for cover. Five massive steps later, he opened his eyes. They only made it for slits, so swollen were his eyelids, but it was enough. He took more suit damage in that run than in his past dozen missions, but he didn't care. Only once did he stop. A drop of sweat ran into one of his deeper burns, and his knees buckled at the pain. But he got up again. He made it back to his vehicle, punched the emergency auto return, and mercifully passed out. Three days later, William walked through the dark side again. His face was covered in blisters, but the local painkillers he'd slathered on were working. His boss had offered him a longer time to recover, and even reassignment to an on-base tasks only. William had insisted on going back. He refused to let fear control his life. He wore a new design of spacesuit. It was rather tougher and more reflective. Not mil-spec armor, but as close to a general-purpose workshop could hack together in three days. The engineers weren't sure if they could withstand the heat ray, since they didn't know exactly what it was. But they thought that it was a chance... He carried two weapons, a standard high-energy slug thrower and an infrared laser. He knew exactly where the creature was. His camera was still transmitting, and the creature had been poking at it for three days solid. In short, he had every advantage that could be devised. From the far side of the last stone pinner, he double-checked all of them. He took a deep breath. 
He admitted to himself that he was thawing and stepped out from behind the pillar. The creature noticed him immediately. Stony joints ground so harshly that he could hear it and the beast's head snapped up. The shiny, facing thing unfurled and William didn't stick around to see what happened. He spun back behind the rock. And a different stone pillar, the one that had been standing directly in front of him, turned the bubbling mud and stumped to the ground. He froze, his heart hammering so hard that the creature could probably hear it through the ground. Without thought, he drew his laser. He visualized the next movement in his head. As soon as his hands were steady, he swung around and opened fire in a smooth motion, faster than it could. Blast that thing into whatever hell it came from. Unless the laser can't kill it. The hide looked tough. He visualized the next movement too. If the laser didn't work, swing back and swap weapons from behind cover. So long as he had cover to work from, he should be alright. For the first time, he took a serious look at the stone that he was hiding behind. It was the same ice silicate mixture as the one that had been just slagged. The creature didn't need him to step out. It could get him right through the inadequate cover. It couldn't and hadn't, as it didn't add up. He held his breath and forced himself to think. And he got it. Maybe. If he was right, then the writing they'd found with these creatures' writing. If he was wrong, he might be about to die. With trembling fingers, he pulled out his computer and accessed the Xenolinguistics Forum. On the top was a sticky thread, current best guess vocabulary. He didn't step out from behind the stone, but he did take aim with a laser. He pointed it at a patch on the ground that the creature could see. He shifted his grip for maximum control and carefully coughed the linguistics best guess for stop. For a moment, nothing happened, then the ground next to the target erupted in steam, and more symbols appeared. Stop what? The computer translated. Frantically searching the computer for the vocabulary he needed. Stop very warm at me, he coughed. The response came quickly. No talk, only write. The word talk was linked to the thesis word of linguistics arguments. They weren't sure of that word. Time to find out. The sentence was easy. Explain talk. The ideogram that wasn't a dictionary appeared. Then there was a pause and the creature began a new line. Very warm at you, untranslatable. You feel and understand. He'd been right. Without atmosphere, these creatures couldn't speak with sound, so they used infrared or something like it. The creature had never directly attacked him, only spoken too loud. With their skins, there was probably a polite volume, not to explain second-degree burns on his limited vocabulary. Very warm at me, only injure. There was a pause. He had shown weakness to a predator. Then more words appeared. I beg forgiveness. The next day, William was being hailed across the galaxy as a hero. First contacts were rare. First contacts with the species this weird were even rarer. And anyone succeeding where both the Brandy and the Swalana had failed was a special kind of rare. So William found himself on the nets being interviewed by a prominent reporter. What I don't understand, the reporter said, is how you managed to keep you cool. Those burns would have sent the most even-tempered species in the galaxy into a rage at humans. Well, uh, he seemed reluctant to complete the sentence. Are not known as even-tempered, William completed mercifully. Much the opposite, well, yes. 
It's like courage, William explained. Another thing I'm not sure anyone who isn't human really understands. Being civilized isn't about not getting angry or afraid. It's about doing the right thing even when you're angry and afraid. Our hot-hearted nature only gives us more practice at being civilized, so we can be good at it when it really need it. End of story. Story number two. The Goddess of Humans by Despair. Gods play games with the lives of mortals. Complicated games. The god of orcs reads the base rules, saw it was a game of war, and built a race that was strong and tough, aggressive and fast breeding. The goddess of the humans built a race that was perceptive. The goddess of the owls read the magic supplement and built a race that twisted the energies of the universe as naturally as breathing. The goddess of the humans granted her race understanding. The goddess of the dwarves read the fortification supplement and built masters of stone capable of living inside hollow mountains. The goddess of humans granted her race ambition. When the quantum physics supplement was published, the gods agreed that it was a badly written and none of them made use of it. The other gods said that the goddess of humans... You have barely looked at the rule books. Are you sure you understand this game? But the goddess of humans only smiled, and the game began. The orcs ravaged the countryside in great roving bands until the humans invented swordsmithing and martial arts, tactics and discipline, and the orcs could ravage the human lands no longer. The elves built towers of pure magic and laid enchantments over entire forests. But the humans devised wizardry and matched them. At first, it seemed a feeble thing. A wizard needed a shelf of books to do what an elf could do with only a gesture. But no elf could match the powers of a full coven of wizards, supported by a well-stocked library. The dwarves built impenetrable fortresses of stone, stretching far under the land. For a time, things seemed at a stalemate. Then human metallurgists unlocked the true nature of steel, and the humans built fortresses taller and stronger than the dwarven stone. And the human chemists found explosives powerful enough to breach the dwarves' defenses. The other gods cried out, Cheetah, you have given the rule books to your creations. This is how they find all these exploitable mechanics. Not so, said the goddess of the humans. I only gave them the power to discover and exploit the rules for themselves. By the time the Inhumans invented nuclear weapons, it hardly mattered. They had already won. End of story. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed. And if you did, please don't forget to support the author from the link down below. But if you want to support this channel, there are links as well down below for you to help with. But the easiest way would be to share this video. And if you are so inclined, subscribe as well. I will see you all in the next episode. And I hope that you all have a fantastic time until then. Cheers.